Welcome back. I'm Erica. And I'm Chris. And this is The The Yamcast. Here we discuss things that affect young adults through the lens of the Bible. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. We would love, love, love to hear from you. Yeah. So reach out. All right, are we ready for the read-through? Yeah, let's do the read-through of Colossians 1, 15 through 23. So just to kind of set the scene a little bit before we dive in. So this section of scripture comes right after Paul prayed for the Christians in Colossae. And he was talking, the last little couple of verses before this starts, is he's talking about Jesus rescuing us from the dominion of darkness and transferring us into the kingdom of light. And that kind of segues us right into where he really starts talking a lot more about Jesus. It's a good setup. So here's verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. It's such a crazy thought, image of the invisible God. That's pretty stinking beautiful. Now, we also, I mean, we're not the image of, are we, because we're we're called image bearers also, right? Yes. How is is this different than what we are? Yes. How? Because we stink at it. (laughs) No, I mean, really, honestly. I mean, I knew it was different, but I was also wanting to see how it was different. It's it's a great question. The the messianic profile of Jesus means that he is the best image of God versus all the other humans who've ever lived. So whereas we are made in his image and we are his imagers, we do a really bad job of it. True. Mm -hmm. Way too often. And so the idea here for us being made in the image of God, sometimes we just take that for granted or we run with it a little bit too much. What Jesus did was he was the way people were supposed to be. And so since he is the image of the invisible God, put it a different way, he's a better image. He's the better stamp of God. And that word image there is used on coins and other things in the ancient world. And the, the idea is it's an exact imprint of the person, right? So... Jesus is the exact imprint of God, whereas you and I would say, yeah, we're made in his image, but you and I both know. We're not the exact imprint. As, as all the listeners, too. There are moments where I definitely am in the image of God. People mm-hmm. look at me and go, oh, that's like how God would act. That's all, that's great. And then the next second, I totally messed it all up. And they're not like, that's not to. how God would act. Yeah. That's disastrous. So true. So it also says, firstborn of all creation. Is this because in the next verse, it talks about him creating? Great question. No. No. Okay. So this is a big one that has, has stumped a lot of like Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses over the years because they see Jesus as a created being. But in the context of what's happening here, back to that image of the invisible God, mm-hmm. the fact that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, meaning he's the perfect representation of that God. He also is the firstborn of a new creation. Okay. The way that humans were supposed to be, he is the firstborn of that new creation. So if you think about it this way, one day we will all be, and I, I mentioned this last time, we'll all be a glorified version of ourselves, right? One day we're all going to finally be in our, our perfect version. In the meantime, this is not the perfect version of me, whereas there was no point where Jesus wasn't the perfect version of himself. Mm-hmm. So he's the firstborn of that new creation. So Paul brings this up in Romans 5. He says, there was a first Adam who failed us. This is the second Adam, the better Adam, the new creation. Okay. So he's the firstborn of, of all creation, 
the new creation. Okay. Clear as mud. It's a it's a very complicated <laughs> theological discussion. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, there's no shortage of doctoral papers written on that verse. Mm-hmm. So it's all over the place, tons of books written on it. But it's not saying that he was the first created thing, which is how a lot of people read it. Yeah. But rather that he is the firstborn of the new creation. Another way to look at it is, you know, the the festivals that he is involved with most heavily was Passover and then Pentecost the first fruits idea. So he's the, he's the first born of the new version of the mm-hmm. way things are supposed to be. So I don't know if that helps, but it's close. So this is this talking about though, his earthly birth. Is this what that's meaning? No. Well, it okay. does cover that because he was not born of, of man. He was okay. born of Holy spirit yeah. and of a woman. So yes, theologically he was a different version of humans than what had been before. But you'll see in a second here he was the creator of all things, but he becomes the head of the of the body or the church by dying on the cross and rising from the grave. So through his resurrection, that is the the ushering in or the epitome of the new kingdom. Mm-hmm. So he's the firstborn of that okay. new creation. So verse 16, for by him, I love that, for by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. So very cool to like read this. I mean, yeah. I also, it took me a long time to realize like talking about the word and like that stuff in first, in John, the first chapter of John and just those things of like, he actually was the creator or like the words through, it's just it one another yeah. lofty idea. So the, the thing though is that things were created for him. What Can you unwrap that a little bit? What does that exactly mean? Everything was created for him. <laughs> Thanks for that. <laughs> no, I mean, think about it. There was nothing created that doesn't accomplish his purposes. Okay. So when we look at the stars in the sky, those were created for him. When we look at the rocks on the earth, those were created for him. When we look at the sand of the sea, those were cre- that was created for him. Like there was nothing created that wasn't made for his glory and for his benefit. So God's nature being a creator, him creating means all of those things were made to be a part of what he's made. And so in that sense, then we're worshiping, right? The sun moves in the in our sky, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I know that it really, well, I mean, I guess the sun does move in the Milky Way, right? The Milky Way is spinning, so the sun is one of those things that's spinning as but well. But that we revolve. But yeah. we revolve around the sun, so I know the truth of that. But I'm saying when the sun moves in the sky, it is, it is an order to it. It's a, there's a plan. There's mm-hmm. a, so God, the Old Testament talks about the, God ordained all of these things to take this space and do things this way. So it was created for him. The, the sun can't step outside of its purpose for God. That's so crazy to think about. Right? The moon mm-hmm. can't operate outside of what the moon is supposed to do. The The earth can't. And one of the things that I point out when I go through Colossians with people is the only beings in the planet, uh, be on the planet that are physical, you know, like touchable, are human beings that don't operate outside of what God would want. We're the only ones that have the free will that can do whatever can do we that. want to do. Right? Because everything else operates out of instinct. Oh, yeah. Uh, but or just nature, but we operate kind of with freedom, which mm-hmm. is crazy. Now, there's other beings as well that operate, and he's hinting to that when he says visible or invisible, yes. thrones, dominions, rulers, and authorities. There's other individuals that have free will, but we are the only ones created like all of those beings, and that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's a lot in that verse, but that's all you want to talk about? Just that one um, thing? That's totally fine with me, but I just want yes, to make sure. Yes, that is all, yeah. <laughs> 
th- these are, these ones are loaded, which is what we're going to get to in the deeper dive. Like yeah. there, there's a lot going on in these, these, you know, six verses leading and then to the next three, but all right. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him, all things hold together. So this kind of reminded me of what you're just talking about when you're saying that things don't go outside of what they were meant to be and went to do. Like the fact that him holding it together, keeping it, um, doing what it's supposed to do. Granted, it's not that it even wants to do what it doesn't want to do. It just is supposed to do what what it was created to do. But just, yeah, the idea that he is from the beginning and that he like holds it all together. I mean, I think you've talked about this before where technically we're spinning at such a speed that things should be, I mean, you've done the, the fair rides. When you're spinning, you move away from the center and not go towards the center, right? right? Whereas we don't leave this place. Yes. Like we're not, oh my gosh, like, you know, slow down, I'm going too fast. Um, We stay where we are. This is my very scientific explanation of it. <laughs> I just love that idea of us being on a planet like, slow down, oh, it's no, going too fast. You're totally out of control. You can't slow down. That's not possible. Yeah. But that it all stays where it's supposed to be and keeps, yeah. Oh, it things, is. Yeah. It's crazy it's to crazy. think about. We are in the exact location that allows the sun to heat our planet perfectly. Mm-hmm. We are, our moon works just right so that the tides are consistent. You, you know, like yeah, when you start to like, run yeah. through the scenarios here, all evolutionary theories aside, and I and I don't agree with most of evolutionary theory. You know, mm-hmm. if we're going to talk about you know coyotes being turned into dogs, sure, you know, over centuries you can domesticate, domesticate something yeah. totally, but that's not really evolution. That's just a different. That's you know, that's breeding practices and so on. And so forth. Yes. So I don't agree with most evolutionary practices. However, uh, science itself seems to suggest if we really break it down that there's no way that this all happened by chance. It, it, it can't. It's crazy. Yeah. And the fact that not only is it created, but it holds together. Something is sustaining it. And so I've heard scientists talk about at the base of every cell or every molecule, there's a little wiggle. It's almost like a like if you were to drop a microphone down into the middle of the earth, you hear a vibration. And there's something happening universally. It's kind of this vibration. Mm-hmm. And so C.S. Lewis and, and one of the, the the magician's nephew, you know, one of the Chronicles of Narnia books, talks about Aslan jumping from planet to planet and speaking. And as he speaks, flowers appear and all this kind of stuff. But as he speaks, it's almost like his voice's vibrations begin to create. Mm. And the, the, the best way that I think about this as far as Jesus holding things together is he has spoken and the word has gone out and that word still vibrates even to this day. And so that the very basic molecular structure, something is keeping us just connected enough that we don't spin off into space. And that something yeah. is, is Jesus, scientifically speaking, is how I look at it. Yeah. It's pretty cool. It is cool. All right, verse 18, and this is a big one for us. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Yeah, so what I really took from this is remembering that he is the head of the church, and that's, I think, really important for us to to hang our hat on and to remember that because, yes, our pastors are our leaders and they lead our church, but they are not the head of our church. That is Jesus. And so that's where we should be getting all of our direction. Right. And that's where we should be uh, making sure that our pastors are getting their direction from. So it all should be stemming from from that. And, yes, our pastors will fail us from time to time, but they aren't the head. Correct. They're just leaders, Correct. you know? 
absolutely. So could you explain a little bit of, of what preeminence, I feel like that's a, a big word. So could you help us kind of understand that? No. <laughs> You're so helpful this episode. <laughs> no, I can. Preeminence is a word that we should use more often. I actually love that the ESV translation kept it because in, in Greek, really there's no other way to translate it than preeminent, but other others have tried to translate it differently. What preeminent means uh, in the English means that it is someone who is first and not first as in like standing on the trophy, you know, like platform, yeah, getting number reward, one. Yeah. The idea of being preeminent means there is no doubt about who's in charge. So, uh, you know, think of Congress, hundred, you know, hundred senators and 435 representatives are all meeting for a joint session of Congress and the president stands up and speaks for the state of the union. Who's in charge? The president. The president. There's mm-hmm. no other person in the room. So at that moment, the president is preeminent over that that council. Okay. Even if half the group disagrees with him, which is always going to be true, uh-huh. it seems, uh, it doesn't really matter. The person who's in charge is the one who's preeminent. So, you know, if, if a bunch of lords and lordesses or, you know, dukes and duchesses are all meeting together, they all have a pecking order as to which one's more powerful than another. But when the queen walks in the room, she's preeminent, Mm -hmm. right? And the idea here is with Christ being preeminent, uh, what Paul's doing is he's saying there is not a single leader or ruler on the planet that if Jesus walked in the room, they wouldn't bow their knee to him. Mm. That's a cool word. Mm -hmm. That's a, so why don't we use it more often? I don't know, probably because no one actually is preeminent in our world today, except for Christ. And the fact that he says he's the firstborn from the dead, which goes back to that firstborn of all creation thing that we talked about in the beginning. But then also on top of that, because he's the firstborn from the dead in everything he might pre preeminent, meaning he's first and not just first, but the first of all firsts. Who else can say that they rose from the grave? No one. No one else has ever risen from the grave on their own power. Yeah. yeah. And Jesus does that. Who else can say that they rule over all of creation? No one. Who else is head of the church? No one. So he's preeminent. So even if the greatest pastors of all time are standing in a room, you know, uh, you know, you've got Charles Spurgeon, the prince of all preachers, or D.L. Moody, or Billy Graham, or yeah. you know, uh, go back in history, you know, Augustine and and Anselm, and all these great theologians and philosophers. If everybody's in the room and they're all like pecking order, and we're like, well, that one's better than this one, and so on and so forth. Jesus walks in the room; every one of them bow the knee because they know, no, I'm not he in charge. It. He's mm-hmm. he's the one. Yeah. So does that explain preeminence? Yeah. Okay. So I lied. I can't. <laughs> Verse nineteen: For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So the fact, so this kind of goes back to that image bearer yes. that I was thinking of, not and him being the exact imprint. It's not only that he's the exact imprint, but that God was fully pleased to to reside in him. Mm-hmm. Like that is a crazy thought to think of. That yeah, he we 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 would not have that right. Like there would right. be no way that God would be like, oh sure, I'll you know reside in that ordinary human being over there. It's the fact that Jesus was the the exact imprint, and that God was like, yeah. I know it's just it's just so crazy to think about. Well, and me- whether you meant to or not, you just touched on something that's huge. And so let me just back that up just a little bit and say this: first of all, the fact that the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in a human being at all is ridiculous. Yeah, to me. that's true. But then moving forward, the fact that now the presence of God is willing to dwell inside of you is mm. only through Jesus. Yeah, that's true. That's what's so stinking cool about it. So what he's saying is the fullness of God is pleased to dwell in this human, the best human, the, the Adam we were waiting for, the, the Messiah, the one we've been you know wanting to see. 
He, God was pleased to dwell in this individual, fully God, fully man. But now if you have put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit now dwells inside of you. And so the, the fullness of God now dwells in you. That is utterly ridiculous. And it's beautiful. And the only way that that's possible is because Jesus, through the blood that he made on the cross, which is really the next verse. So do you want me to keep going or yeah, do we want it. to pause on that for a little bit? Yeah, verse 20, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. He created everything. Yes. Okay. That's kind of what we talked about. That's been like quite a few verses. Yep. He's created everything and also was the path for us to be put back on track with him, yep. basically. Yep. Like that's just, oh it, my word, that's crazy. It makes no sense. Such a crazy concept. Until you realize the entire Bible has been saying this from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Like who passed through the covenant that Abraham made with God? God, God did it all by yeah. himself. Who says to David, I'm going to make your house great. And if your family sticks with me, I'm going to make them a great house forever. God. Yeah. And then David's great-ish, although not, mm-hmm. his son, eh, and then <laughs> all of his great-great-grandsons, they're all like not what you want them to be. And then they just disappear from the face of the earth. And you think, well, the, the promise that God gave David is over. Until Jesus pops on the scene and you go... Shut the heck You're up. Like, That's amazing. Yeah. So he is not only the path to make things right with God, God was always intending to mm-hmm. be the one who was going to make things right by himself. That's ridiculous. And it doesn't make any sense. And it should make us just stop and worship him. But instead we go, oh, that's cool. I'll, Move on. I'll do communion. I don't like the Aww. taste. I don't like the taste of the juice. So I'll go get real lunch afterward. Like you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. the things we complain about at church. Like this isn't my favorite kind of music. Who cares? Like God just did this. You are worshiping just, yeah. the King of all, who's preeminent, and you're worried about whether you like the piano or not, or organ, or guitar, Whatever. or drums. Get over yourself. It is crazy to think that he would create something that he knew he was going to later have to to die and suffer for. Whereas I'm glad he did that because if us humans did that, we wouldn't have done it. We don't, you know, we never do it. No, like if we knew what the outcome was going to be and we were like, I don't like that. I'm going to go over there. So I don't have to deal with that. Like, that's what we would do. Right. We wouldn't create that being if we knew we were going to have to die for it. I mean, I guess children, we don't really create them, but you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. Actually, that's, that's one. I think that's the only time that that would happen, which is, which is why God is our father. Mm -hmm. You know, like that, that whole idea is beautiful. But you're totally right. I mean, who? I don't see a ton of movies where humans are depicted in such a chivalrous way that they're like, "No, take me and not them." It's always I mean, our Hunger it's Games, a, but <laughs> I'm just kidding. But she was protecting her sister. <laughs> I volunteered from you. But she was protecting her I sister because she didn't think her sister could do it. Yes. You know, you look at our superheroes. Humans aren't capable of doing it, so we're going to step in and do the job for them. It's really amazing if you think about our culture wants a Messiah. Mm, the problem mm. is our culture doesn't want the Messiah they were given. Like they would, you know what I'm saying? They'd I mean, be, they'd it's rather been that be, way forever. Yeah, right? that's like, that's yeah. totally it. But they're like, ah, oh, yeah, I want to be saved. And but then, in this then, way, then you're like, yeah, all right. So here he is. He, oh, I don't like that guy. No, I'm good. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you're like, wait, what? No, that's you don't get to do this on your own. Mm-hmm. That's not how it works. But well, I mean, it's just like, was it you that? Talked about that in um, if it was smart, I'm sure it was. No, oh, I'm just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. In a, in a sermon, somebody did where they were saying that there's this person was stranded, and then a boat comes by, like they're praying to yeah. for God to save them, and a boat comes by, and they're like, "Oh, do you need saving? No, God's coming." Yeah, and it's like 
God's sending, you know, yeah. this, and you're just not capable of seeing it. Yeah, that's a great old sermon illustration that has been used for centuries. Just, you know. Yeah. Uh, uh, you, do you want me to pick you up? No, I'm waiting for God. He's coming. Like, you're an idiot. Get, well, get on the boat. <laughs> have you seen that new commercial where that guy is literally stranded in the desert, it, like running around, and he finds this cooler full of water, which he desperately needs, and he's like, no, water. And then this helicopter comes in and tosses him some Mio so that he can flavor yes. the water. Yes. Anyways, that just kind of reminds no, me No, we saw that the other day and my wife and I just looked at each other like, that was ridiculous. That's Abs- what I think of. Absolutely ridiculous. Like, yes. no! Yeah. This life-saving Thank water, you. no! Oh, Thank, Mio, I need it to you, be Mio. flavored differently. Yeah, like, brilliant so advertising, funny. but absolutely ridiculous. Mm-hmm. All right, verse 21. And you, this is now moving from Jesus into <laughs> our sad state of affairs, and you, church, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Um, the church was added, just so you all know. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> he, he added that. It doesn't actually say church. Okay. Um, yes, you're right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. So this is, yes, because he's talking to Christians. Yes. So the, the you is talking to, as yes, you had said, the church. So this is before we would have come to know Christ. Yes. How we were. And I know a lot of you are like, well, yeah, duh. Like, I understand that. But it's like, he's talking to Christians. He's not just talking to everybody, which granted, Correct. they all, we all have, that's all who, who we, we are all of those things, but right. specifically to Christians. And it's a plural you. Yes. This doesn't work very well for English unless you go into the Texas y'all or all y'all. Uh, but yeah, it's talking to the church, not Erica individually. Yeah. And you before you came to Christ. Because I. What about we, everybody? Because we, we read you a lot of times meaning just a, a second person singular as mm-hmm. opposed to second person plural because we don't have a word for that. But he's talking to the whole church. Yeah. Yes. So before they come to know Christ, then verse 22, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Like, let's just let that sit for a second. He died for this creation that he created, I know it sounds weird, but, and now we can be before him holy, mm-hmm. once again, crazy, Ho- not just like holy, blameless, above reproach, meaning like they can't say anything negative. Like that should make you want to get on your knees. Mm-hmm. Like that is absolutely crazy and mind boggling to me. Totally. Verse 23, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which I, Paul, became a minister. So uh, all of those things are true. 21, 22, they are true. And I, and I, I kind of said like there's a catch, but it's not necessarily a catch, but there is something you do have to do. And that is, it is free, but you have to like take it. You have to actually have faith that it yep. talks about. Um, you will have all of these things. You'll have be holy, blameless, above reproach before God. If you continue in the faith, like there isn't, it isn't just, oh, those things will just happen right. because, you know, free things. But even if something's free, you still have to take it. Right. It, it doesn't just happen. It doesn't just fall into your lap. Like right. you actually have to take it. I mean, unless you're, I guess you're at a sporting event and they shoot something off, but. But even then you don't have to catch it. I mean, it could fall in your lap, but I guess you don't have to take it home. But even then you could just stand up and let it fall on the ground. Yeah. That used to be so funny. I don't want it. <laughs> I don't want this free T-shirt you shot at me with the cannon. Except for there's probably lots of other people that would be mauling you to get free T-shirt. Correct. People like free things, but I just wanted that to for us to remember that that because a lot of times we want to say, well, if 
if God is love, then like, why do I have to do these things? Or why do I like fill in the blank? And really, the only thing that is asked of you is, yeah, that you have faith in Christ. And then, yes, your life should become different. Yeah. But this is how even life works here, though. Like, you don't, I don't know, people who always are like, oh, there can't just be one way or those sorts of things. Or that's not even how, yeah, that's not even how life works here. But we want it to be different. Well, we want it to satisfy our needs, I guess. Yeah. Usually it's because we want to put ourselves at the top. Yeah. As opposed to letting someone else be preeminent. Back to that word that we used a little bit ago. And unfortunately, you're right. It's totally not true. I mean, to marry someone is is free, technically. You don't have to actually do anything Mm -hmm. to be married to that person. But you can't just accept it and then be done. You have to actually be married. Yeah, do something about it. You move into a relationship with someone, you need to spend the rest of your time actually developing that relationship. And it kind of comes back to what what we were saying in the very first verse there is if Christ is the firstborn of our new creation, creation, things grow, they develop, they they are molded and shaped. We are joining a new creation, which means we still have to grow up, we still have to develop, we still have to mature. For us just to say a prayer and accept that and think that that's it, we've really, we've missed it. Yeah. I do, I love the words that they use of stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel, which they already talked about previously when they were talking about the um, faith, love, and hope. So I just, I love those words. They mm-hmm. give very good visuals of what that would, what that faith is supposed to look like. And I think that's really cool. No, I'm with you. So one thing that we're going to see often throughout Colossians is, is this whole, like, this was your life before Christ, and now this is what your life is meant to be after knowing Christ. And so while we're going through these, just really be thinking about where am I in that? Am I still in that life before Christ or have I moved into, does my life look more like what it's supposed to after I've known Christ? And I think that's just good for us as we, yeah, yeah, as we move forward. It's a great word. And, and truthfully, the first two chapters of Colossians is basically breaking down for us what Christ has done for us while sprinkling in, this is what you do with that. Mm -hmm. And then the third and fourth chapter is going to be now that Christ has done that for you, this is what you do. Mm-hmm. This is how you're supposed to be. And so it's similar to Philippians in that way. Ephesians and Colossians are very close, and they're both about the same. The first half of the book is just, this is what Christ has done and who he is for you, and then this is what you do about it. Yeah. And so that that might be a framework that's helpful to some people, but we'll come back to that framework too when we get to chapter three for sure. So, But now it's time for The Deeper Dive. And I really just have one quick concept to talk about with the deeper dive. Uh, and for everybody who you know might be sharing their faith with their friend or finding a way to get involved in campus ministry, or you know maybe you're gonna you know be home for the holidays and you want to talk to someone about Jesus and you're like, where do I start? There are kind of three big significant passages that I go to that paint a what I would call a Christological picture of who Jesus is. They, these three passages are the, the creme de la creme of who Jesus is and what he's all about. So John 1, verses 1 through 17, you brought this up already earlier yeah. today, but it talks about the word, and that word concept is kind of strung throughout all of the Old Testament. It's got a lot of neat things going on. I won't go into all that here and now, although... You know, someday later there might be a podcast that deals with just that idea. But John 1 ties all those concepts together. So John 1 is 1. And then Philippians 2, specifically verses 5 through 11, but I might go as far as to say Philippians 2, 1 through 11, paint a picture of who Jesus is and how he's humbled himself 
to become the person he became. And then this one right here that we just read, Colossians 1, 15 through 20. So if anyone's ever wondering, like, who's Jesus? What's he all about? Those are the three big passages to go to. It's not that you won't find Jesus in the rest of the Bible. Of course, you're going to find him all over the place. Uh, And if you start to spend more and more time in God's word, you're going to start to build a beautiful mosaic or, or tapestry or picture of who Jesus is. The way that I like to describe my faith was when I first accepted Christ, I just wanted to get to heaven. Mm-hmm. And so the way I described it is that's kind of like I had a stick figure version of Jesus. He just did one thing for me. He got me to heaven. But the older I've gotten and the more time I've spent in God's word, he has taken on a life of his own, right? We've moved from stick figure Jesus to I started adding color to him and then eventually adding sinew and flesh, so to speak, where where if you could kind of imagine that in your head, moving from a really simple 2D drawing mm-hmm. to a full 3D version of him and now there's things that I'm seeing about him. Like I'll be reading in Proverbs and I'm going, whoa, this is all about Jesus. Or I'll flip through Song of Solomon or some of the new, t- you know, some of the Old Testament prophets. Or when I'm reading Colossians, I just see Jesus popping everywhere. He is taking on a full f- figure, a full yeah. version of what he really is. And just to paint this picture, I came to Christ at the age of eight. And I'm now 38. So in 30 years, that's, oh, I'm getting old. Wow. I have spent 30 years digging as much as I possibly can to learn as much about Jesus as I possibly can. And I am 30 years ahead of where I was in the beginning. So that's a lot of dedication. And I feel like I'm just scratching the surface. So that's amazing. So if you want to get started, those three passages I mentioned are the three big ones. John 1, Philippians 2, Colossians 1. There's a ton of others, but those are the three big ones. And if you start there, you're going to get a really big picture of who Jesus is and what he's kind of asking us to join him in. Then the next step would be, now that you got that, then let's start going through the whole Bible and find him all over the place. And so our church, for example, next year is going to do a Bible in a year. We're going to spend the whole year just painting these themes of who Jesus is. I'm super excited about where we're going. Uh, but whoa, it's big. So the deeper dive this time is just those those passages. Uh, Jesus is endlessly interesting and endlessly exciting. And his, you know, you owe him everything you have. But if you want to get started, that's where I would get started. Sounds good. All right. I like it. Let's get practical. Let's get practical. Practical. So I have two ideas for us to talk about to get us more practical. Um, the first one is, is Jesus, which is what the whole thing has been about. What? what? So we all need a refresher on Jesus from time to time. He can become a little too normal or ordinary or too fam- familiar for us. And so this chunk of scripture is so vivid and alive, and it really wakes up this idea of Jesus that has become muted. Mm-hmm. Like you kind of even talked about. Like it gives him color again. Yeah. And it sounds bad that that's what happens, but that is what we as humans do. Like that's just what happens to almost everything in our lives. Things just become ordinary, routine, normal, and we need to do things to remind us of of the freshness of it. Um I don't it's it's unfortunate that this happens to the gospel or that this happens to Jesus or to Christmas or to Easter or any of those things, but we do. We have to continually remind ourselves of of who he is and what he's done. He is first, he is before all things, and he keeps them going in their paths. He created it all, and it is all for him. He fixed what we broke and continue to break through his death on a, on a torture device. Mm-hmm. Like, God was pleased to fully dwell in him. Like, that's just so good. And though I think even what you talked about with just the three different passages, 
seeing it worded in different ways or using different words just really helps to yet change that a little bit for us instead of it being the same. He is fully God and fully man. Like that should wow us every time and it, and it doesn't, but hearing God was fully pleased to dwell in him. Like that's something new to kind of think about. And so we need those different passages. We need to see things in a new light because we are very forgetful. Mm -hmm. So yeah, listen to, to different passages of where Jesus has talked about. So if you're feeling like it's mundane and boring, then you need to do something to make it, to liven it up, right? So, and I think the, this chunk of passages really does that for you. Yeah, you don't know it all. No. So get over yourself and get back to the word and let it, let it teach you and guide you. Just trust me on that one. That's good. Yeah. So the next one uh, is that in that last verse where it talked about stable, steadfast, not shifting. Yep. Like I just love, like... Yeah, like let's make a shirt. Let's like put that on some coffee mugs. I don't know something because I just I that's what I want to be. Right? The rains came down and the flood. Keep going. No, that's we're good. Okay, um, because that's truly yeah. those that follow Christ. I mean, even even if we don't follow Christ, to be real, that's what we want to be. We want to be stable and steadfast. We don't want to be shifting. Right. Right. We don't want to shifty is never a good adjective unless you're a politician. They don't want to be known as shifty, no, though, either. Correct, but they are. They are, yes. I mean, lots of people are shifty. Yes. But you don't want people to call you. Like, you don't want to be known as that. Right. Um, but I really think of, like, the rock in the sand. I don't know if anybody else thought of that when reading this verse, but are you going to be the, the rock that when a storm comes actually is stable and steadfast through it all, or are you going to be more like the sand that moves even when small waves come? Like, if you notice... You can have small waves hitting the shore and there is still sand that's being moved every single yep. time. Yep. It's neither it's not secure or it's not sure at all. It's not fixed itself on anything. It's literally moving here or there wherever it wants to. So it hasn't really fixed itself on truth, but rather moves here or there whenever something sounds good to them. So I just want to like commission you to be stable and steadfast, right? And that yeah. takes time and that takes understanding like we talked about in the beginning of Colossians like spiritual wisdom and understanding is what's going to help you to be stable and steadfast so you actually know what you're fixing yourself on right and you know that it's going to keep you and it's going to not shift right so and it comes from maturity oh yes and the only way no that's what you're saying but no yes I'm just saying the only way to be great way but the only way to become mature is to feed yourself the right things right I mean if you're raising a child, which I know some of our listeners aren't doing that yet, and good on you, don't you know? Don't just start raising a kid so you can figure out whether this is true or not. Uh, but really, the the truth is, like you're feeding your child the right things, or at least hoping to. You know what I'm saying? You can't let a kid run their own diet. That's stupid, because then your kid will be a stunted, 30, yeah. 30 inch tall individual for their whole life. They're like, I ate sugar. No, they have no teeth, and their hair's falling Chicken out. Nugget. Yeah, yeah. Like that's not how it works. You want to feed them the right things. You want to nourish them. You want to grow them. And so in order for us to mature, we actually have to feed ourselves the right thing, which is why we tell you, spend time in God's word daily. Spend time talking to him. Build a relationship with him. If you build a relationship with him, you'll start to become more humble. And as you become more humble, you'll want to do things his way. And as you want to do things his way, all of a sudden you're steady. All of a sudden, you're steadfast, you're sure, you're stable. Mm-hmm. So it's not a process you can short circuit. It could take decades. Uh, well, it will take decades. Yes. Unless you just started like in your 94 years old. Then you may not have decades, but <laughs> oh, good luck. But hey. Yeah. 
Yeah. Better get, late than never. Right? Totally. Get started. Try to cram yes. a couple decades into 10 days or whatever, you know? Oh. I'm just kidding. But I love how you get all offended. Like, <gasps> Like that I'm was like, the, that 94-year-old is going to be so offended like that, while listening I, to the okay. Young Adult podcast. Yeah, let's be honest. 94-year-olds are not listening to the Young <laughs> Adult so podcast. Right? Anyways, Th- I mean, that's not, I our, that's not our audience. Yeah, I would assume. I mean, they could, but yeah, I wouldn't assume. The two people that listen to this thing, one of them's not 94 <laughs> yeah. years old. No, just kidding. All righty. It's time for my favorite segment. Council Corner with Erica. <laughs> it's just so weird. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big dumb animal, folks. So I recently had someone ask me how I got over the idea of staying in my hometown. Wait, are you staying? I know, right? <laughs> I was like, I'll let you, I, my joke to them was, I'll let you know when I've got. Give me over twenty it. more years. Um, but so I went to school far away after high school. Six years I was away, and I decided to come home after that. This is just a little background, and. I didn't plan on staying here for very long, but here we are nine years later. So, um, and she asked that because she just got done with a a five-year breakup. It wasn't like a five-year long breakup, but like they had dated for five years. I realized how that sounded. And they just broke up. And so she moved home and she was really struggling with that. And And she asked me that question. And to be real, I think a lot of young people are dealing with that these days of, they see going home as being a failure. They see as going home, like going home being as being a quitter. And none of those things are true. Sometimes that is literally what you just need to do. And my advice to her was um, that you you need to start getting involved in something, and that will make being home a little easier. So if that's getting involved in your church, if that's getting involved in some sort of club, like if you like running, find a running club. If you like biking, find a biking club. If you like, y- I almost said yarning. Sure. <laughs> oh, the things with yarn. If you like, if you like things, go find other people and do those things together. Yeah. Because truly, people are what is going to make it easier. It really will. Like having friends and having people to do things with when you're not just sitting at home alone all of the time or with your parents all of the time, it will make it a little bit easier. Um, I mean, it took me three years to kind of figure out that I needed to do something uh, where I'd like to actually set down roots or to get involved in things. And so I guess, yeah, don't let it take three years. And you might not be there for as long as I am. I don't plan on leaving now anytime soon. It kind of makes it harder to leave, actually, once you've been there longer. But I think, yeah, I think a lot of young people these days are finding themselves going home. And you might, it might not even be you now going home, but it could actually be like, in 10 or 15 years that you find yourself having to go live back at home because your marriage fell apart or your job fell through or the economy or whatever it might be. And it just sounds more financially. um, It just makes sense more financially. So that might even be then that that happens. But none of those things mean you're that you're a failure. None of those things mean that you um, that you aren't still moving forward in your life. I think sometimes people think that's taking steps back. But you sometimes need to do what you've got to do. And so, and what can help make that a little easier is having people around you. Totally. So. Well, and I think you just touched on something that's huge. And, and I, don't, I don't know if you even heard yourself say it, but most of the reasons why people are back home is because they are in a transition period of life because they feel like they've failed. Mm-hmm. Like you moved back home just to make money to pay off your student loans. Yeah. It wasn't necessarily, it was the cheapest place to live. So you didn't really think of yourself as moving back home. Whereas I felt commissions to come back home. 
you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I had a church hiring me to come back here. So I didn't have the same attitude toward coming back to my hometown or home area, I suppose would be a better way to say it, as other people. But a lot of times the reason why people move back here, partly because as a kid they were told, move away from here, it's terrible, never yes, come back. Yes, so true. They moved away and now because of a breakup or because of a job or because of you know a situation financially, they've moved back because it's the best place to live. And they haven't come to grips with the fact yet that this isn't the worst place to be. So unfortunately, we kind of equate this place with negative just because of the scenario which brought us back was negative. And what you're saying is such good advice. And I would just say, why don't you just lean into your situation? It doesn't really matter whether you're here because you want to be or not, but God's got you here now. So just use it. Mm-hmm. And that's what you're saying. And, and yeah. I'm saying it in a different way than no, you yeah, are. You're fine. But it's the same thing. It's just, yeah, lean into it, get involved, do something. You know, if you sit down and do nothing, then yeah, you're going to hate it. And it's terrible if you do that. It is. But if you say, man, I'm going to help rebuild my hometown or I'm going to help drive this policy or make this happen, like that'd be awesome. I'd love more people to come back and jump in and realize this isn't the worst place to live. So, it really isn't. It's kind of cool, actually. Yeah. All righty. All right. Well, that was a good episode, Erica. Yeah. Well done, Christopher. I like the council court er- with Erica part there. That was good. <laughs> the little, um, what is that called? The jingle? Yeah, the little Oh, jingle. I don't like the jingle. Oh. I like, oh, but I like, like your actual oh, segment. Okay. It's really well, helpful. thank you. So thank you for that. You're welcome. All right. Well, everybody, we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Yamcast. You can check us out at yamcast.podbean.com or on any other podcasting apps like iTunes. We would love it if you'd leave us a review that is any number between four and a half and five stars. If you have any questions that you'd like us to answer here on the podcast, you can email us at yamcastpod at gmail.com. That is yamcastpod at gmail.com. If you'd like more information about us, you can check us out at parkhillschurch.com or on the app store with the Park Hills Church app. We are also on Instagram, so give us a follow at The Yamcast. <laughs>